Again, it's such a privilege to be here with you and to continue with this series called Family Life Boosters. And we're now looking at part three, and we're going to be talking about setting boundaries. This is so, so crucial. It's so, so important. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you so much for the gift of family. We pray for your help, Lord, that you would assist us in becoming better parents, becoming better siblings, becoming better children, becoming better family members, and really honoring you in how we do this thing called family. We open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, and we say, come and teach us about establishing boundaries. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I want to talk to you about setting boundaries. And this is so interesting for me because what I've observed is that a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people get very angry. But the moment they realize that it's actually to do with boundary violations, it could be boundary violations in a marriage. It could be boundary violations in parent-child relationships. Uh, what happens is that they get closer to the solution. They actually experience some freedom and some closure. But if you don't identify that this is actually a boundary violation, it's very difficult to come to a place of resolution. So let's go for it as we talk about this issue called boundaries. You see, we set boundaries to protect what is important in our lives and also to avoid the stress that comes from collapsed boundaries and what's called enmeshment. Enmeshment is where you don't know where you end and where the next person begins. One of the experiences I have is I'll ask usually moms and say, so what food do you like? Oh, um, my hubby likes this and my kids like this. No, what food do you like? Uh, we're really blessed, Paul. We can now afford this. No, what food do you like? Well, nowadays I've started cooking this. No, what do you like? And she's forgotten what she actually likes because she's forgotten who she actually is. You see, it's so important to understand that when God created us, he gave us unique tastes. He gave us certain preferences. He gave us a unique style. That's why in Psalm 139, it says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearfully actually speaks of carefully. He took great care, uniquely made us. Okay, bespoke, right? It's, uh, it's custom made. You are custom made for a particular purpose. And the tension we experience very often, those of us who come from collectivist cultures, right? Uh, the tension we experience is that we are individuals, but we're living in a collective. And this is the challenge many parents face because the Bible tells us instruct a child in the way he should go not in the way everyone else in your tribe is going, right? But then your child comes and says, mom, dad, you can see clearly I'm very good at art, right? Uh, so I want to go to university and study art. And what does mom and dad do? They look around them and say, have we ever seen this in our family? No, we've never seen something like this. No, son, we cannot send you to university to just go and draw pictures. We don't know about that in our family. We've never seen it before. And so what happens is that we end up not celebrating someone's uniqueness. And this is the challenge because we are uniquely designed by God. We've got unique callings, but at the same time, we're supposed to live in community. And so we find that in family life, a lot of times what ends up happening is this enmeshment. And it happens because we're not setting clear boundaries and we haven't even seen the word of God in terms of what it says concerning boundaries. So here's the interesting thing I've learned is that our goal should be to maintain healthy boundaries. You see, on the one extreme, you've got collapsed boundaries, right? And on the other extreme, you've got rigid boundaries. Our goal is to have healthy boundaries and there's nothing wrong with that. You see, think of a boundary as a wall. Think of the wall that's perhaps around your yard where you live. What does it actually do? Well, it's a boundary that keeps the bad things out right? And it also keeps the good things in. So if you've got puppies, if you've got dogs, you want to keep them in, right? If you don't have a boundary, those good things will get out. And it's the same with you as a human being. There are a lot of good things in your space that you want to keep in. And there are a lot of bad things out there that you don't want to uh, get inside of you. So important. Uh, Laurie Radin said, boundaries are essential to helping us identify who we are. 
and what's important to us and how we want to live our lives. Without them, other people will decide these things for us. It's so true, isn't it? Okay, so that's the tension we face. And I believe that part of being able to set boundaries is so key. It's so key to uh, being an effective disciple. And I'm going to show you how Jesus would set boundaries. And we often don't label some of his behaviors that, but it's actually about boundaries. I also want to encourage you, uh, we need to be careful not to put burdens on people where Christ has not done so because that's another boundary violation. And I'm going to spend time in this message literally unpacking different types of boundary setting. But uh, a lot of times what happens is we've got good intentions and we end up putting burdens on people that Jesus hasn't put on them, right? Especially as parents, we do that. Sometimes even as pastors, we do that. We call it heavy shepherding, right? Where we begin to tell you and instruct you to do certain things, but we've actually crossed a boundary line because there's no verse to it, you see. And that's what I like to say to certain people. Sometimes my children might say to me, Dad, do this. Dad, why are you doing that? Dad, it's not great when you do it. And I say, show me the verse. Show me the verse. Do not give me an instruction to do something when there's no verse backing it up. And very often what we do is we impose our convictions onto other people, but Jesus hadn't, hasn't actually done so. Jesus hasn't actually imposed uh, those convictions, but we do so. So again, this is something to watch out for. You see, many people don't know also how to shift roles, all right, by being relationally agile, what I call relational agility. So they're the boss at work. They're the firstborn in their family. And generally, they've become a chronic bully. They become a chronic bully, okay? They're commanding everyone at work. But then they come and now uh, they end up uh, mothering or fathering their spouse. They don't know how to switch over from, hey, I'm a parent to this child, but wait a minute, this is now my husband, okay? So it's easier for them to stay in the same role. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people violate boundaries because they can instruct and they can almost steamroll over people in one context. But in another context, that's actually illegitimate. So it's important for us to be relationally agile. So, so important. Now, <clears throat> I want you to join me on this journey, if you will, as we look at different types of boundaries. I want to first ask you a question. Why do you think we violate each other's boundaries, especially in family settings? I want to share with you uh, some of my thoughts around this. The first reason why we do so is that the boundaries aren't clear in the first place. And this is usually because of lack of assertiveness, lack of assertiveness. See, when you're assertive as a person, your mindset is, I'm okay enough to express my rights, to express my opinion, but you're okay enough for me to do so respectfully. You see, but when you're aggressive, which is the other extreme, your mindset is, I'm okay, you're not okay, right? Uh, and then when you're passive, your mindset is, I'm not okay, you guys are all okay, and you become a doormat. So it's important to uh, create a culture of assertiveness where you say what you mean and mean what you say. But when you don't have that, then you don't actually have clear boundaries at all. Right? Sometimes we don't have clear boundaries because we've never thought through what is family supposed to look like. Where does the role of dad end and the role of mom begin? Where does the role of dad end and the role of child begin? Often we're not clear about some of these things and so we're violating certain boundaries and people can pick it up at a subconscious level that, wait a minute, there's a boundary violation here, but we haven't actually articulated it. Um, the second reason why we tend to violate each other's boundaries in a family setting is that we project our preferences onto our spouse and onto our children. All right. So we don't quite know where we end and they begin. And we assume that because I like this, everyone else must like it too. The third reason why we tend to violate boundaries, especially in a family setup, is that we grew up in enmeshed families, okay, where boundaries were collapsed and they were continuously being violated. So we don't really know how to do family outside of a dysfunctional setup. All right. So uh, we can have no secrets. You know, everyone is in our business, etc., simply because we grew up like that. Uh, the fourth reason why we tend to violate 
boundaries is we tend to be rescuers, okay? So we feel the need to rescue our spouse. We feel the need to rescue our children, right? And uh, it ties into the fifth reason, which is the end justifies the means. Because I'm doing this for your own good, it's okay for me to do so. Because uh, this my decision is a good decision and I'm rescuing you for yourself, I'll make the decision for you, okay? It's so important to be so careful about doing so. So we justify this unhealthy behavior as we think we are helping them. We're doing it for their own sake. I remember one time having a conversation with my wife because I violated one of her boundaries. We were in a situation where an old friend had arrived, was at a sporting event at one of the schools and uh, there was a particular old friend and I had arrived there early and this particular friend I knew was really looking forward to seeing my wife. So she ended up going and greeting my wife at a time where my wife was watching uh, one of the kids do something. So I observed that my, my wife, Tracy, didn't really respond that much or as much as I would have liked her to. She greeted the friend, but I was kind of expecting a bit more. And I remember almost pushing her into talking to that particular person. And at a certain point, she felt that I had violated a particular boundary, okay? I should have maybe just said, hey, so-and-so was really keen to speak to you. I should have maybe left it there instead of forcing her to go to that particular person by pushing, pushing, and pushing. That's just an example of how we often uh, want to rescue a situation. I didn't want any conflict to arise. I didn't want the other person to be sensitive about it. And I was trying to control the outcome. And when you try to control people's perception of you, perception of your family, and you try to control an outcome, sometimes it can be uh, very dangerous because in the process you violate certain boundaries. A lot of times we violate boundaries because we tend to treat everyone around us as if they're kids, okay? And even with kids, we shouldn't be violating certain boundaries, but we tend to do so. So <clears throat> what are the major types of boundaries that we're going to talk about today? The first one I want to talk about is what we call space boundaries, space boundaries. I remember at the start of 2017, when my wife got her new car, she said to my kids, she said to our kids, um, kids, no eating in this car, right? That's her space. I know some of you are thinking, Paul, how long did that last? Okay, but that's her space. And she said, no eating in this car. All right. So it's where you're keeping the bad stuff out because, you know, sometimes with kids, your vehicle can end up uh, being, you know, a dustbin. It can feel like that. All right. Uh, so you're asserting that this is my thing and this is what I want it to look like. It's so important to create climate. It's so important to be able to maintain the climate that you've created. It's important to maintain the climate that you want in your space. Now, this can be your car. It can be your bedroom. It can be your bathroom. So my question to you is, are you clear about your standards, your standards of ambience, your standards of neatness? And my question to you also is, do you assert these or do you allow other people to just contaminate your space? Just think about that a bit. Do you assert your standards or do you allow other people to contaminate your space? It's so important to think through this. For example, let me give you an example here in scripture. Uh, you see that when Peter was raising the dead, he actually asserted space boundaries. In Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read from uh, verses uh, 36 through to 40. We see something interesting in verse 36. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Uh, Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood round him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Can you see that? That's a space boundary. They were all there. They were crying. They were devastated. They loved this woman. But Peter was assertive enough to send them out. He knew that in order 
for this miracle to take place, it needs a particular atmosphere. It needs a particular climate. How many of you know that angels are attracted to a particular climate? Very often when you're in times of extended worship, extended prayer, they're drawn to that type of environment. And I find it interesting that he didn't just carry on trying to pray when everyone else was crowded around him. It says, Peter sent them all out of the room. Are there certain environments where you need to send people out in order for the climate to change in that place? You see, um, it says, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. So even when he called the people back in, okay, he had a particular focus. He had clear boundaries about who he wants to talk to. This is such a classic example of the importance of being assertive in order to create a space boundary. Because a lot of people are not assertive enough, they don't have certain space boundaries. Very powerful. You know that when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, right? He was actually asserting a space boundary. He was basically saying, this is my father's house, okay? And it's a house of prayer for all nations, right? It's a house of prayer for the nations, but you're making it into a den of thieves. So he took ownership of that. This is my father's house and look what you're doing. I'm driving you out. What needs to be driven out of your household? What needs to be driven out of your space? It's a space boundary and it's so, so important. You know that there are times when uh, my children, for example, will come into the lounge and I'm having a conversation with my wife. They come into the lounge and they're speaking very loudly. And sometimes I say to them, if you guys want to talk loudly like that, can you do it outside? Can you do it in a different room? Because this is actually our space and you've just come in. Right? A lot of people are not assertive that way. In fact, a lot of people have this mindset of, oh, I don't want the children to feel rejected. Let me tell you something, especially when you're speaking to your spouse, children feel more secure when they know that dad loves mom, dad honors mom, mom honors dad, mom loves dad. It's important to have that boundary. Mom and dad are having couch time. They're having a serious conversation here. You're making too much noise. Please leave. Okay, you have to be assertive in order to reinforce your space boundaries, you know. So just watch the climate of the space that you're in. What music and movies do you allow in your space, in your home, in your family setup? You see, and some people say, well, it's just a movie. Well, let me ask you, would you let those people visit you and do the same thing? You might not be the one doing it, but would you let those people visit you and do the same thing? Oh no, Paul, it's okay. They're just acting. Okay, let me ask the question again. And I'm not trying to be legalistic here or rigid with you, but these are questions to ask because it's about your space. Okay, would you let someone come to your house and stage a play doing the very things those people are doing? You know, whether it's the foul language or fornication or whatever it is that you keep watching. It's important to influence your space. It's your climate and you can take ownership of it. The second type of um, boundary I want to talk to you about is what we call task and energy boundaries. Task and energy boundaries. You know, there's some people who don't know their limits. They literally don't know what, uh, how much they can actually achieve in a day. So they've got so many things on their to-do list uh, for a particular week. And then they find that a few days into that week, they're canceling on everyone. And the reason they're canceling on everyone is they were lacking self-awareness. They, they didn't fully know how much they can actually achieve. And sometimes it's because they don't have boundaries, specifically task and energy boundaries. Jesus had them. Look what he says in John 14 verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He had just received news uh, concerning a death and uh, he heard this and he felt, you know what, I actually need some space. I actually need some time away from the crowd, right? It says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So the crowds kept on following him, but he knew when to withdraw. There are other times when you'd say to the disciples, let's, let's, just, let's just move away from this because we need some rest. There are other times when they would say, oh, the crowds are following you, the crowds are following you. He says, no, let's go to get onto this boat. Let's go to the other side before I have to preach 
to those towns also. So he had a clear boundary. He wasn't sucked up by the fame. He wasn't sucked up by the praise from the crowds. And I'll talk a bit about that later. You know, some teachers lack task and energy boundaries, especially when they're teaching, and then they have FOMO on behalf of the student. I don't know if any of you are like that, okay? Reminds me of someone in a workshop that I was running a couple of days ago, and this guy is a brilliant teacher. He loves teaching people, but his friends literally have to say to him, can you explain this concept to us? But please don't explain everything. We're just interested in this one concept. When he's explaining mathematical principles to people, he will literally, uh, first of all, focus on the problem at hand. Then he'll go into geometry. Then he'll go. He literally doesn't have boundaries when it comes to how much information to give out. That's a task and energy boundary. And I gave him that feedback that that's something you'd have to work on. So my question to you is, are you able to say to people, I'm tired right now. We can continue later. Hey guys, I think let's go and get some shut eye. Let's go and have some sleep now because uh, it's now decreasing returns to scale. You know, we're not getting that much out of this meeting. Hey guys, let's close this meeting now. We'll continue next week. It's time to stop, you see. Um, And task and energy boundaries actually revolve around learning to set limits, learning to set limits. You know, being able to say something like this to your child. If you're not at the car park by 1.30, I will need to leave to fetch your sister. Okay? You've set the limit for the person, right? And then it's now their choice. If they don't adhere to that particular boundary you've set, well, they will experience the consequences. And they will learn very quickly that, you know what, mom, or if it's dad, it's dad, uh, will actually follow through on what they've said. Okay? So it's actually a useful boundary to have you know, task and energy boundaries where you learn to set limits. It's so useful to have to have if you're married to someone who uh, loves entertaining. Okay. It's where you can actually say, thanks guys, feel free to carry on. I'm actually going to go to bed now because I've got an early start tomorrow. You know, and many people will say, oh, Paul, but culturally I cannot do that. I'm the wife. I have to be serving people. I have to be doing that. Well, if you can't say no to certain things, you won't be able to say yes fully to your purpose and your assignment in life, you see? So it's so important being able to say no to certain things, being able to set limits. <clears throat> you know, it's also this also occurs when you're visiting people, doesn't it? Being able to set limits. Often my wife and I, as we are driving towards a particular place and we're going to visit friends or family, we'll sometimes say to ourselves, okay, my love, can we agree? What time will we leave? Okay, so we'll just be there for an hour and a half. Okay, then at a certain point, we give each other the look and we know it's time to go, right? I'm always amazed when I see certain people at these uh, big social gatherings, you know? Uh, Sometimes it's with extended family, sometimes it's with friends, because there'll always be that one person four hours into their time there who plucks up the courage to actually say they want to leave. And if you notice, they always have an excuse. They don't just say, hey guys, it's been real. I'm leaving now. Right? They'll always have to say and say something else like, uh, sorry guys, I have to fetch my son from, from football. You know, oh, I have to say, fetch my daughter from netball. Right? And then the moment they're about to go and they announce it, what happens? Everyone else says, oh, am I parking you in? Oh, I think I'm parking you in. I think we need to go too. And my question is, at what point did all these people want to leave? At what point did all these people want to leave? Then you see them at work on Monday and they're tired. They're exhausted, all right? It's because they didn't know how to set limits. They were struggling when it comes to their task and energy boundaries. And people often say to me, Paul, how do you manage to do all the things that you do? And one of the reasons is, uh, one of the reasons I can do all those things is use of time is so important. I see time as a gift from God. My time is a gift from God and I want to steward it really well. So very often I will go somewhere and I'll pray before and I'll say, Lord, give me quality time with some of these people. Show me who I should spend that time with, right? Then I have quality conversations and when I feel like I'm done, I'm done. I don't have to hang around just to impress people. I'm comfortable with that. So when I'm working on editing my next book or uh, praying or whatever I need to be doing, right? People are still there pretending, 
right, to be enjoying themselves when they actually want to leave. I remember joking about this at a family gathering once because I said, you know what, maybe the host, we're talking about this concept of boundaries, and I thought to myself, maybe the host actually wants us to leave now, you know? Maybe they actually want us to leave, but we're all second-guessing each other and second-guessing them that they'll be offended if we leave. And I remember the host at that time kind of giving uh, a, a smile and hinting that, yes, at this point, it'll be great if people start leaving. Okay, so um, this is so crucial, task and energy boundaries. Okay, um, one of the things I learned from a friend of ours some years ago, she actually would allocate playtime with her children. And she would know, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and she would say, you know what, this is my time with my daughter. And it worked so well for her because there was a clear boundary, so that later on when she was now doing her own work, her daughter would come and want to carry on playing with mom, but mom was able to say, you know what, uh, honey, we've had our time of play, mom now needs to do her work. And I want to encourage you, put a time frame to some of these things. If you don't put a time frame, you'll keep feeling guilty, you'll keep feeling, oh, my kids aren't having enough of me, they're not having enough of me. No, allocate in your mind and know this, that this is enough time to play with them. This is now feeding time. This is now bathing time. This is what I'm now doing. It's part of your time management, having those particular boundaries. Otherwise, there'll be no self-care. You won't look after yourself. <clears throat> you see, setting limits is also a way of avoiding being bullied into premature decision-making. You see, you're able to say to people, no, I need time to think about this. Because you see, some people will bully you into making a very quick decision and just make sure you don't allow them to do so. Just say, no, I need time to think about this. So you're setting limits. So when is it time to stop? You know, what is draining you and how is it impacting other people? Do you know when to stop, right? How many hours a week can you work? A lot of people are workaholics and they don't know when to stop. They don't know when to stop. Someone told me recently about how they had a boss some time back, who would call them at 2 a.m. And when this guy would say, hey, why are you calling me at 2 a.m.? And it was for something arbitrary, by the way. It wasn't even an important thing. Why are you calling me at 2 a.m.? The boss would say, well, you've got a company phone. You know, it's not your personal phone, so I can call you. And this guy was like, okay, if it's going to be like that, then you can take your phone back. All right. So it's important to be assertive enough to be able to set limits, to be able to set limits. I'm often amazed by how we don't respect appointments that we make with ourselves, yet we respect appointments that we make with other people. Have you noticed that? Okay, so it's not easy for me to just say, sorry, I can't meet you on Saturday morning because I need some me time. Sorry, I cannot meet you on Saturday morning because it's my reading time. It's my personal development time where I'm reading that book that so-and-so recommended. It's not easy for people to do so. But you see, when your self-esteem is healthy and when you're whole as a person, you respect yourself enough to do so. That's why we always say your personal development and your personal growth is the best gift that you can give the people around you. It's so crucial. You see, we respect other people, don't we? So I can say, hey, I can't meet you. I've got a date with my wife. Because I respect my wife, I won't cancel on her. But so often we're canceling on ourselves. I want to encourage you to set limits. That will help you when it comes to task and energy boundaries. So important. The third type of boundary I want to talk to you about is what we call minimum and maximum boundaries. You know, do you have a minimum amount of prayer that you expect of yourself? All right. Uh, in Matthew 26, verse 40, it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. So he wasn't necessarily expecting more, but in Jesus' mind, he had an idea of what's my minimum requirement here in this particular setting? Do you have that for yourself? And it'll be different for different people. But it's so important to be able to set minimum boundaries and maximum boundaries. This is the minimum amount of food I need to eat on a daily basis, right? This is the maximum. Right? This is the minimum amount of exercise I need to actually engage in in a particular week. And this is probably the maximum, you see. Do you have a maximum number of times for forgiveness or for giving people another chance? It's interesting when you speak to people because some people have this. 
You'll hear people saying, you know what? If you mess up three times, then I literally just blacklist you. I blacklist you. I'll give you three chances. And now you, you ask yourself the question, why three? Why not four? Why not five? Why not two? Where does it actually come from? Right? In Matthew 18, 21 to 22, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So he had, a, he, he had an idea in terms of the maximum. And what did Jesus say? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Okay? Or in some translations, we'll say 70 times seven. It'll say different things, but it's basically talking about seven multiple times. And seven is the number of completion. All right? So <clears throat> what I'm talking about here is that we must forgive completely for our own sake, not just the sake of the other person. All right? And that's the essence here. That's what Jesus is trying to uh, get across. Forgive completely, even as I've forgiven you. It's so important to think, think through these minimum, maximum boundaries when it comes to church attendance, for example. You know, uh, what's, what's the minimum amount of church services we actually should be going to? When it comes to pocket money, when it comes to how many kiddies parties your children attend, Sometimes you have to have a bit of a maximum there. Otherwise, they'll be attending every single party they're invited to, especially if they're a popular kid. Okay, uh, Dates with your spouse. Uh, consultation with regards to finances. This is quite an important one. Sometimes some couples, they don't talk about it. And then they argue about finances that this person bought this, but they didn't even talk to me about it. And from the other person's perspective, it's not actually a big deal. So it's quite healthy to actually say any money above this amount, we need to actually disclose. We need to actually talk about it. We can't keep those kinds of financial secrets from each other. And what's interesting is these minimum maximum boundaries, they also include time boundaries, don't they? You know, what's the maximum amount of time you will spend at a function or watching TV or socializing, right? Uh, and what's so interesting here for me is if you don't have this kind of thing, this kind of time boundary, you'll find yourself watching a particular series that you like, right? But because you haven't pre-decided how many you will watch, you watch the second one, and then it's those suspense thriller types, and then you watch the third one, right? And you're like, ooh, I want to see more. And you hadn't actually planned your use of time. You hear some people saying things like, hey, I went to visit so-and-so. I just wanted to collect this from them, or I wanted to give this to them. And before you knew it, it was eight hours I was there. So my question is, was that other time, right, that you ended up spending there, was it not allocated for something else? Do you not have a sense of purpose, a sense of this is how I'm going to live out my day, a vision for your day? See, a lot of people want to accomplish greatness, right? And they're just thinking in five years, I'll do this. In 10 years, I'll do this. But I'm telling you, you have to ask your, yourself this question. The vision I have for my life, how does it translate to my daily routine? How does it manifest? in my weekly timetable? How is it manifesting in how I'm going to use my time today? Otherwise, it will never happen. The fourth boundary I want us to explore <clears throat> is moral boundaries. Moral boundaries. Do you have a clear moral position on certain things? Do you have clear moral positions? You see, if you haven't pre-decided what you're going to do and what your stance is on certain things, you end up falling. So have you pre-decided what these things are, these standards are, lest you fall? You see, it's problematic if you and your spouse have different standards with regards to something like adultery, for example, right? You'll then have problems. For example, one of you has the Bible standard of avoiding the appearance of evil, right? You know where the Bible says, avoid the appearance of evil. So don't get into compromising positions. There's a predatory press out there that wants to take a photo of you in a compromising position, all right? Uh, <clears throat> so you've got that as a standard. You've got as a standard what Jesus said, where he says, I tell you, if you actually lust after someone else's wife, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. That's what Jesus says, right? So that's a Bible standard. You flee from emotional affairs, right? So one of you could have that, but the other person could be quite happy flirting. Right, So it's important to actually talk about moral, moral boundaries and clearly define in a family setting what your position is and what your standard is. You see, some moral boundaries are to do with relational and social boundaries. In scripture, there are actually many forbidden alliances, forbidden alliances, people you shouldn't hang out with. 
It's important to be clear about this. Okay, sometimes when I'm counseling couples, you can see that uh, the, the husband might have a particular position when it comes to uh, forbidden alliances and the wife might have a different position and then they fight over that. And I keep saying to people, be willing to redefine your friendships for the sake of your marriage. It's so important. It's actually one of the uh, marriage destroyers when people are unwilling to redefine their friendships. Okay. Um, <clears throat> So there are forbidden alliances in scripture. And I've done a series on alliances, spiritual alliances. You can check it out on our website. And one of those messages is to do with forbidden alliances. All right. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? You see, a lot of family struggles are actually to do with unwillingness to redefine certain friendships. You hear people saying like, but that's my day one. That's my day one. I grew up with that person. All right. And then things are a disaster. So have you got clear moral boundaries? Have you clearly defined your standards that in business, this is my stance. If you don't have clear moral boundaries, I'm telling you right now, you end up falling because when you are under pressure, when you are stressed out, you'll end up doing a particular thing uh, that, that was not strong in your mind. Your conscience was seared in that particular area. So, so important. The fifth type of boundary I want to talk about, uh, these are called psychological boundaries. That's what I, I prefer labeling them as. And there are a number of things that fall into this category. You'll see that Jesus, when he was dealing with people, he actually guarded his heart because he knew what was in their hearts, right? And a lot of people don't have these psychological boundaries. Sometimes we, we, we call them emotional boundaries. It's where you realize that, you know what? If I make myself uh, vulnerable in this situation, I might actually end up getting hurt. I'm not talking about being suspicious. I'm not talking about being overly cautious, okay? I'm not talking about uh, generally not being a trusting person. I'm talking about how you must be careful not to get too excited when everyone praises you. Look at this in John 2 verses 23 to 25. This is Jesus. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. Right. Uh, verse 24. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. Can you see that's a boundary? Was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. Right. He could see beneath the smiles. And it's important to be able to do so. And says, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And this is so important. This is a psychological boundary. See, and this is also important when, you come, when it comes to counseling people. Okay, so I'm now speaking about a different setting when it comes to psychological boundaries. It's what we call healthy detachment. It's not that you don't care about the person you're counseling. You know, people sometimes say to me, Paul, how do you cope? Because you're always hearing people's issues. Um, you, you know, how do you carry this? Doesn't it burden you? No, you can be caring. You can be loving. You can give counsel. You can give advice. But you can actually say there's a boundary here. This is actually their burden. This is actually their issue they're carrying. Right. If God gives it to me as a burden, then I must pray through the burden. That's why he gives us burdens, not just to carry around. Then we also get depressed, just like the other person is depressed. Right. Um, so it's important to have this healthy detachment. You see, also allow people to decide for themselves certain things. You know, when you're counseling people, your job is to tell them possible consequences of their decisions. Hey, if you go this route, this might happen. If you go this route, this might happen. You decide. You see, sometimes people end up blaming you when you're the kind of person who says, do this. I don't care. Just do this. And then it backfires and they say, but you told me to do that. Okay. But you're dealing with an adult. So again, this is an important type of boundary. It's, it's good for psychological safety, actually. Okay. It also manifests, these psychological boundaries, they also manifest in, in what we call self-respect Boundaries, self-respect boundaries. You see, these are boundaries that you erect in order to establish psychological safety, right? So, for example, being able to say something like this, I won't stay in an environment where people speak to me like that. So, um, if you want to carry on this conversation, you're going to have to change your tone, please. Can you see what you're doing? You're not trying to control someone else's behavior. You're actually saying, if you carry on like that, guess what? 
I will walk away. That's what I will do. I will just walk because I'm not going to be spoken to like that. I respect myself too much to allow myself to be emotionally abused in that particular way. Okay, it's actually a common phenomenon when it comes to people in the workplace. I remember coaching someone years ago, they're working in a bank and they said to me, Paul, you know what's tough for me? I've got this team and I have to eat lunch with them, but they're so negative. And I said, wait a minute, who said you have to eat lunch with them? In fact, when you're in the workplace, it's actually good having lunch with different people and broadening your network that way. So you've got a choice. Number one, you don't have to have lunch with them. Number two, you've got another choice where you can actually shape the direction of the conversation. This conversation that's negative, you can actually say, guys, you know what? I'm not enjoying this conversation. I'm finding it quite negative. Can we talk about something else, please? Right? And if they carry on being negative, you can walk away. You see, you can sh you're powerful. You can literally shape your climate. And this is so, so important. Okay? So this type of boundary, when it's pre-decided, when pre-decided, it actually helps you to stay out of toxic relationships. Okay? You're clear about what the deal breakers are in terms of who you spend time with, who you give your best to. You actually, you're actually able to walk out on bullies, okay? Where you can say, I'll only continue this conversation if you engage with me respectfully. So, so important. I will only continue this conversation if you engage with me respectfully. The sixth boundary I wanna talk about um, is health and body boundaries. You see, we are called to be good stewards of our bodies with regards to our health and what we use our bodies for. You see, health boundaries will help you to determine what food to take, what drink to take. You see, what do you eat and how much do you eat? The Bible says so much about people who uh, lack moderation. They don't know how to do things uh, in a moderate fashion, right? In Philippians 3 verse 19 it says their destiny is destruction their god is their stomach and their glory is in their shame their mind is set on earthly things do you have health boundaries do you have certain things that you say i'm not going to actually eat this i'm not going to actually drink that you see with regards to your body for example what do you permit people to see what is private and you know this needs to be taught and what I love about the Bible, and you look at the Hebrew people, they were actually taught these things. They were actually taught you cannot uncover this person's nakedness. You cannot uncover that person's nakedness. It was very clear, you see. So when it is clear, it will actually protect children from abuse. One of the reasons lots of children are getting abused is because we're not teaching them that. If someone touches you in this particular way, that's wrong. It's not normal. A lot of times uh, with molestation, for example, the kids are confused. Kids are wondering, is this, is, this, is this okay? Is it not okay? And so on. I still remember um, my kids were having a sleepover a few years ago. And um, a number of their friends, it must have been one of their birthdays, a number of their friends came over to sleep. And one child from a Christian home, the first thing he said to me as I welcomed him in, he said, my mother told me that no one must touch my, and he mentioned his private parts, okay? You'll be in big trouble if you touch my, and he mentioned that. And, you know, when I told the mom afterwards, I think she was a bit embarrassed and so on, but it was so good. It was so good because this child was empowered. This child knew that this is how I can protect myself from abuse because of what he was told by, uh, by his, his mother. And you know what? We need to do this. We need to do this when it comes to family members, extended family, because you don't know what everyone out there is actually up to. So we need to teach our children these things. You know, and these, these sometimes are actually gray areas, even for parents. They're sometimes gray areas. I know of certain couples who've had arguments and fights around these particular things. You know, you've got fathers with daughters who've said to me, you know what, Paul, as my daughters have grown older, I'm not quite sure. Where's the boundary? You know, I like to hug. I like to be affectionate and so on. But, you know, I just need to be clear. And then sometimes some fathers get nervous about it and keep their distance because they don't want to send across the wrong message or be falsely accused of something. All right. So it's important to be clear about your health boundaries and about your body boundaries. What is private, what is not? I know certain families where they just, they walk around in their underwear, 
right? Not when visitors are there, but, you know, they just walk around in their underwear. I know a certain person uh, where they'll, a certain mom who just will bath and have her sons, you know, walking in and out of the bathroom while she's bathing. I don't know if it's a bubble bath. I'm not sure exact setup. But you have certain practices in certain families and we can look and we can think, oh, that's strange. But it needs to be taught. It needs to be taught. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so are you experiencing tension around what you can expose or what you shouldn't expose? I know of a particular gentleman who literally ended up despising his mother. Okay, uh, because this, this mom would just use the loo in front of the kids and so on. And she lost her dignity in the eyes of her children because of that. And there were certain bitter root judgments he then made towards his own mother. Right. And be very careful of that, because what happens is when you then grow older, the thing backfires on you, especially when you make bitter root judgments around this. All right. Now, look how Noah's sons dealt with his nakedness. Okay. It says here, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. That's how they showed respect, you know. Now, however you interpret that, however you want to work that out, the main point I want to make is that it's important to respect each other's bodies and to have clearly defined boundaries in terms of this is what I permit people to see and this is what they can't see. And those boundaries around our bodies end up determining how we dress. They end up determining our code in terms of how we carry ourselves. Who sees what? You know, it's so interesting when it comes to certain health boundaries. Isolation. Now, during this time of COVID, we know the whole concept of being isolated and so on. But you know, that's in the Bible. Isolation when one was sick was something that was actually taught in Hebrew culture and religion. Okay, this is a type of health and body boundary, isn't it? In Leviticus uh, 13 verses 4 through to 5, it says, If the shiny spot on the skin is white, but does not appear to be more than skin deep, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them. And if he sees that the sore is unchanged and has not spread in the skin, he is to isolate them for another seven days. That's the practice of isolation. Okay. And that's actually a boundary. I'm sick. I don't want to pass on my sickness to anyone else. Let me isolate. Let me create a particular boundary. The seventh boundary I want to talk to you about today, I want to talk about information boundaries. Information boundaries. What is overshare? What is between you and your spouse? Be careful of discussing issues uh, such as income specifics, um, uh, as your kids sometimes can end up telling people, or maybe they think it's not a big issue and they know implications around it and so on, and then just innocently start talking about it. I mean, I know a lot of stuff about uh, people out there, uh, parents out there, etc., because of the things that their kids have shared with my kids, you know. And the kids will say, oh, do you know how much so-and-so earns? Oh, do you know? How? So just be careful about that. There are boundaries to do with information. Who do you tell what to? And I can't say to you, don't say this to your kids, say this to your kids, all right? But you have to figure it out. Is it age appropriate? There's certain things that we don't say to our children because they're actually not ready to hear. They can't process it right? Um, but then later on, we're preparing them. So initially, we are protecting their moral innocence, but later on in life, we're preparing them, right, by talking about it. So perhaps there are things you only share with your children when it's age appropriate to do so. What are those particular things? Information boundaries are so, so important. Sadly, with a lot of families that are dysfunctional, they know secrets. It's kind of like everyone is in everyone's business and people are very demanding about it. I'm your brother. I need to know. Aren't you going to tell me? But we are brothers. Where did that rule come from? Where did that rule come from? You see, Jesus had an inner circle with which he shared certain information. 
If you look at John 15 verse 15, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And, and, and this wasn't the case for every single person. You know, elsewhere he would say, hey, to them I speak in parables, but to you guys, I've made it plain. So Jesus would communicate differently to different groups of people. Sometimes we've got this mindset that God just treats everyone in exactly the same way. No, the Bible elsewhere says the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. So he doesn't share his secrets with everyone, right? You qualify for certain things. You qualify for certain things. You see, people tend to demand rights to information and privileges just because they're family members. Let me ask you a question. Are you in a family where everyone is in everyone's business? Are you in that type of family? Sometimes people have to actually qualify to get certain information, you see, because you can have someone who's a cousin, but they are known for breaking trust. They're known for spreading rumors. So do you just share with that person because this is my cousin, right? And I find it interesting what Jesus says. It says in Matthew 12, 46 to 50, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Look at this boundary that Jesus asserts. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's such a powerful statement. You see, be careful when people say things like, I'm your sister, I should know this. You know, tell me now, okay? Do they have a good track record? You see, so Jesus wasn't nepotistic when it came to information, okay? Can you trust them with information? Are they mature enough to handle it, okay? My kids often pressure me to give them certain information. And my wife will be there saying, don't tell them, don't tell them, don't tell them. And I'm thinking, maybe I should just be open with them and so on. But sometimes when I think about it, I realize, wait a minute, I don't think they're ready for that information. Or sometimes I think this one is ready. I don't think this one is ready, okay? You see, God does not confide in everyone. Psalm 25 verse 14 the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. In Mark 4, 34, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Information boundaries are so important. What do you share? What don't you share? What conversations should you have privately between you and your spouse and the kids aren't there, right? There are times when one of my kids, he likes sort of like walking around close to us, pretending he's not really listening, but he's actually listening to what we're talking about. Sometimes we have to say to him, listen, dude, you know, can you just go somewhere else? I'm having a private conversation with your mom. The eighth boundary I want to talk to you about is identity boundaries. Okay. Um, this is what I like. Not my kids, not my hubby, not my siblings, but me. These are my attributes. You see, differentiation, differentiation is one of the qualities of a functional family, right? It's seen in your ability to actually express your attributes and express your preferences. And it's so important to have these identity boundaries. You see, God has wired us differently, right? Do you know where you end and where the next person begins? Are you aware of your personal attributes and your preferences, you know, people have different ways of expressing their spirituality. We don't all pray in the same way, right? We could both be praying. Two people could be praying in a biblical manner, but one of them just likes going outside into God's creation. And that's where they connect with God the most. The other person wants to worship a bit more and have music in the background. Other person wants to go into their closet and be praying in strong tongues um, a lot of the time. Right? We've got different ways of expressing our spirituality. Some people will spend most of the time reading the word and then responding to it in repentance and in prayer. Okay? Allow each other to express their um, spirituality in their unique way that God designed them. Right? You know, people have different ways of expressing themselves. Also, I want to say allow people to have their own convictions. And the important thing is that God is glorified in the process. If you look at Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read verse 5 through to 6. It says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. 
So that's maybe speaking of the Sabbath, for example. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own minds, so they shouldn't be double-minded about it, okay? Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. It's crucial that whatever we're doing, we're doing for God's glory. We're not doing it out of a place of legalism or self-righteousness or a sense of self-importance. Be careful about imposing your convictions onto other people, especially if those convictions are not clearly stated in Scripture. All right? And a lot of people tend to do that. Let's celebrate the diversity that we have in our households as long as we're glorifying God in the process. <clears throat> now, the ninth boundary I want to share with you is what I call role and assignment boundaries. Boundaries to do with your role. Right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read verse 13 through to 16. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service that uh, God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. So there are boundaries in terms of what you are called to do. Okay, um, <clears throat> We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits, can you see, boundaries, by boasting of work done by others. And there's something a lot of people do, right? They boast a lot, but it wasn't their work. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. So God gives you, a, it's, in the Greek it's called a metron. It's a sphere of influence, a sphere of authority. And very often we cross those boundaries and we go into other spheres that God hasn't assigned for us. In fact, some people aren't fully aware of these types of boundaries. So spiritually, they end up doing what we call trespassing in the spirit, trespassing in the spirit, where they start taking ownership of another dimension. They're not the pastor of a church, but they start acting like the pastor of a church. They cross a line. And what they don't realize is that some of the demons that have been assigned to destroy that pastor end up targeting you. All right. Be careful of crossing certain lines, certain boundaries. Uh, uh, in the spirit. Even if you're a prophetic person, for example, you give the prophetic word. It's not your responsibility to do it. It's not your responsibility to make it happen. You are the messenger. Deliver the word and then the other person has to then seek God about it. They have to judge the prophecy and then they have to go ahead and either do it or not do it. All right. Uh, so be careful about this. This is what we're talking about when we talk about role boundaries or assignment boundaries goes on to say, for we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. So it's so important to know your sphere of influence and your spiritual jurisdiction. Okay, be careful of trespassing in the spirit. It's also important to have role clarity in the home, isn't it? You see, if this doesn't occur, what ends up happening is you have children counseling their parents all the time prematurely and you have different types of role reversal. This child ends up not being a child. All right. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that uh, your children are your children first before they're your friend. OK, you can develop a friendship with your children, but they've got many friends out there. There are many people who can be their friend, but they've only got one mom. They've only got one dad. So just remember that in terms of these, uh, this type of role ambiguity and lack of role clarity that takes place. Uh, <clears throat> if you look at Luke chapter 2, verses 48 to 50, when his parents, talking about Jesus, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus was actually asserting a boundary there. He was saying, because of what I'm called to, there's certain things I need to do. That's why I'm spending this time in this place. That's a boundary. And you see, not everyone will understand the boundaries that are associated with your assignment. Not everyone will understand how much time of prayer you need to have because of what you're called to. Remember Ephesians 4 verse 1 basically said, say, talks about how uh, I urge you brethren as a prisoner for Christ's sake to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. There's a lifestyle 
that has to match our calling, you see. And you know what? Sometimes when they don't understand your assignment, they're sometimes too eager to see you fulfill it. Because it's interesting that later on, you see, although when he was young, Mary didn't fully understand Jesus' Uh, assignment. She didn't fully understand. She didn't fully understand the implications, right? That he had to be in his father's house. But later on, she seemed to gain understanding, but she seemed very eager. Look at this other boundary that Jesus had to set in John 2, 1 to 5. On the third day, a wedding took place in, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And what did Jesus say? Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. See, there are times when people around you who know your calling can push you into it prematurely or try to do so. His mother said to the servants, <laughs> she seemed to be ignoring what he was saying. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Okay. Now, Jesus had to exercise strong boundaries when his disciples tried to turn him from his assignment. In Matthew 16, verses 22 to 23, it says this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This was when Jesus was going to die on the cross. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How many of you have done that to some of your friends when they're trying to derail you? You see? And when we're talking about boundaries associated with your assignment and with your calling, it's so important to guard your assignment, to guard your assignment, you see? And it's interesting because responsibility boundaries are also linked to um, your roles and your assignments. It's so important in a family setting to actually know where your responsibility ends as a parent. For example, to what extent can you help your kids with homework, okay? How much help is too much, okay? It's not always your fault, for example, if the kids fail in class. Sometimes they have to take responsibility for what they're doing, okay? They make their own choices, okay? And so we know this. We know this when we're counseling people. We know this when we're giving advice to our children. So part of responsibility boundaries is responsibility for choices. What can your kids choose? And what do you have to choose for them, right? Are you choosing all their sports for them? Are you choosing all their subjects for them, their subject choices, okay? How much can you impose on your children based on experience? I can't tell you what to do, but what I can tell you is it's important to think through it and to be conscious of the fact that sometimes you're actually violating a boundary. Sometimes it's great to have your children, especially when they're age ready to do so, make certain choices for themselves and understand that they will experience the consequences and they must take ownership of the choices that they're making, okay? So are there any decisions that are actually age-specific? You know, there are things you can say to your children. For example, I can bring the book that you left behind at home, but only later when I'm driving that way. That's an example of a boundary. I'm not just going to, oh, let me rescue my child. And many parents do that. The kids leave something and they're now going to get in trouble at school for it and so on. Parent is always running after the child. Let me rescue them. Let me rescue them. Just be careful of that because you're not going to change their behavior. Now, <clears throat> what are some common boundary violations in marriage and in family life? I want to give you some examples so you see a picture of this. For example, forcing your spouse to dress a certain way. Okay, Choosing your spouse's career for them. Controlling your spouse's preference with regards to entertainment. Right? And when I'm talking about these things, I'm including children also. Right? Making decisions on behalf of your spouse or certain decisions that you shouldn't be making on behalf of your children. Answering questions for them. You know those parents. Child asks a particular thing or, or another parent asks a particular thing to your child and then you begin to answer. The child ends up lacking confidence. I saw it happening today. I was doing a family intervention and an older sibling was answering on behalf of a younger sibling. And the mom stepped in and just said, she's the one being asked. Let her ask. Let her answer. Okay. Uh, invading your, your spouse's personal space when they need it. Forcing yourself on them. Right. Continue with certain bad habits that affect your family members. For example, loud music, swearing. 
and that kind of thing. You're invading their space. You're violating that boundary because they can't help but hear what you have to say. So I want to end off this message and I want to land it by giving you some scripts that you can use in family settings when you're actually establishing boundaries. The first example I want to give you of establishing boundaries, you'll say something like this. This is where you're basically communicating that there's a violation of a particular boundary and this boundary is important to me. And perfect practice makes perfect. I encourage you to practice these things. For example, you would say, I feel my boundaries are violated when you tell the kids to come to the shops with me. Then you state what your preference is. I would prefer you to tell them to come and ask me if I would like to take them or not. This is an important boundary. It's an important boundary. <clears throat> Another example. I feel my boundaries are violated when you answer questions I've asked the kids before they've had a chance to respond to me. So it sometimes happens, right? A father can ask their child a question and then the mother steps in or an older sibling steps in and answers, okay? I would prefer you to wait for them to answer me first before attempting to respond on their behalf. Third example for you. I feel my boundaries are violated when you take over a task I'm doing without asking me. I would prefer you to first ask me whether I would like your help instead of assuming that you know. Okay? And sometimes we get angry. And why do we get angry? There was a violation of a boundary. Fourth example, I feel my boundaries are violated when you hear me singing a song softly to myself, but then join in loudly with a different song that it reminds you of, and then you just take over in that way. I would prefer you to join me singing the same song and at the same same volume that I'm singing. I'm just having a quiet moment and so on. If you come into my space, you can join in, but join in not too loud, but just join in with me. You can even harmonize, okay? And then final example, I feel my boundaries are violated when you update people on developments close to my heart when I'm present to do so myself. I would prefer you to let me say those things for myself and you can add anything I've left out. I want to encourage you to be assertive in these nine major areas of boundaries that I've shared with you. And I believe that it will take you to a deeper place of freedom and actually help you in resolving conflict. And there, those scripts that I've given you, put them into practice. Maybe make a list of where you feel my boundaries are being violated. Let me begin to establish these boundaries. I also want to encourage you not to be a perpetrator of boundary violation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message and we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We ask that you would continue to help us to have fully functional families where we're not violating boundaries, but we are actually setting and establishing healthy boundaries. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen. God bless you. I trust you are blessed.